0: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 404.
1: If you just tell everybody what you do, I told all my coworkers, the babysitter, uncles, aunties, if you tell people what you do, it's always somebody in a situation where they need to get rid of a house.
2: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
0: What's going on, everyone? It's Brendan Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. Welcome to show 399. David, how you doing?
3: I couldn't be doing better. I'm on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Actually, Woo-hoo! I probably could be doing better. I'm very sore. I kicked <laughs> my own butt this weekend, running and yeah. hiking in the woods, and so I feel really good, but I'm definitely tired.
0: Getting the goods in the woods, as our friend Tim would say.
3: Yes, he would. And it rhymes. So everyone here that just heard this will remember it.
0: <laughs> they will remember it. Yep. Anyway, what's up, man? I know you've been working out a lot. You've been getting uh, all in shape and stuff well, I can't and looking work good. Out. But all
3: the gyms are closed in California. It's well, driving you've been me running. Running's working all, out. That's the same thing. Well, Whatever. I guess I think of working out like lifting weights and I think of running like just hell. Just you got to go yourself. like.
0: You got to, my buddy Mike says, like, uh, what He calls it farm fit or something like that. It's like, you got to get get in shape with what you have around your house. So, like, benching cows.
3: They use bales of hay and they just, exactly. Yeah. You got to get feed. Like Rocky and Rocky Four, where he's out in the woods just using, Mm -hmm. like, picking up trees and stuff
0: like that. You do what you got to do. You so I want to see pick you up some, gotta do. You go get your camera, set it up on a little timer and then grab a tree, hold it up. And I want to see that in your Instagram later. What's your Instagram? David Green 24. Everyone go to David Green 24 on Instagram right now and go look for David's picture of him holding a tree.
3: Can't you just invite <laughs> me to Hawaii and I can do this with fun stuff? In, uh, like, I'll pick I want you seashells. to pick up some water and yeah, hold it above your head. <laughs> we'll go swimming or snorkeling. There you go. You can
0: do like the hair flip thing that girls do with the cool Instagram. Like the I've been hair practicing that. Just wait.
3: At one of these yeah. days, I'm going to unleash it on the world. Yeah. They're not ready for
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like blue steel or whatever like magnum right all right yeah, we got it yeah I there we go green oh <laughs> <laughs> right, we gotta get on today's show uh, but before we do let's get to today's quick tip today's quick tip is very simple earlier we recorded but it's coming up here we just got finished recording with today's guest george who's awesome you're gonna love him george tells a story later on in the show about how he bought a duplex and the rents that he found out that it was actually being charged were not what the rents were advertised as being charged. So I just wanted to throw this out there. Cause I do mention in the show, there is something called an estoppel agreement or an estoppel certificate that you have tenants sign when you buy a property that has already been currently rented, just Throwing that out there. If you're going to buy a property, make sure you search BiggerPockets or even Google if you don't like BiggerPockets and search for Estoppel, E-S-T-O-P-P-E-L, I think. Wow, good job. And thanks. I just wrote that chapter in my book, uh, the multifamily book that I'm writing. And so it's in my head fresh. I probably got it wrong. Now I look like a complete moron. Anyway, don't always trust what agents say is the rent. A lot of times they're writing what the rent could be, not what the rent is. So make sure you verify that before
3: you buy a property. And that is today's quick tip. Trust, but verify.
4: That's great. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through Rent to Retirement, you can buy a brand new construction, turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, Rent to Retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that complicated, Rob. REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentarretirement.com today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door.
5: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP.
0: With that, we got to get to today's show. So today's guest is George Gibson. George Gibson is an Awesome dude who was a mail carrier. And he's going to tell us a story today about how he went from that to full time real estate investor to the power of uh, just cash flow and, and doing a little bit of flipping in there. He's got a lot of cool stuff today. Uh, a lot of just really good advice. Everything from like, uh, like we mentioned, the quick tip, the estoppel stuff. We talk about what it takes to actually quit your job. We talk a lot about house hacking today. We talk a little bit about buying at auctions and so much more. George is just a bundle of energy. And I think you're going to like a show. By the way, just a quick word of, I don't know, warning. It's not really a warning, but right in the middle of the show or towards end of the show george's microphone gave out so we switched to his other microphone so if you're all of a sudden hear a change in microphone sound don't get panicked it's not your audio in your car it is uh just the change of microphone and uh yeah be aware With that said to add, or should we
3: nope let's bring him in
0: all right let's get to today's show with george gibson all right george welcome to the bigger pockets podcast man good to have you here how you doing
1: oh thanks for having me man
0: yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about your story. Uh, I mean, like getting into real estate, obviously, but I know you were a mail carrier. Is that correct? Yes. Tell, tell us about that.
1: All right. So basically I was a mail carrier. Um, I graduated college and I didn't use my degree right off the rip. I, I became a mailman at the post office. So I worked for the post office for maybe six years. And the first year at the post office, I was listening to music. Music, 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 right? So I'm driving the mail truck. I'm listening to music. I ran out of all the songs to listen to. <laughs> and I've come across podcast app, right? So when I come across the podcast app, I type in like success, motivation, real estate. And over time, I discovered the podcast. It was like around episode in the 50s. Oh, so wow. yes, that was the beginning, right? So yeah, that was a while ago. I literally remember where I was at when I listened to my first episode. I was just thinking about today, like what street I was on. So I listened to the episode and I was delivering mail. I listened to the first episode and I pulled over and I was like, it basically like, this is me right here. I comprehended everything this guy just said. So I'm on the side of the road. So whenever you see a mailman on the side of the road and he's just looking at his phone, probably (laughs) looking for the next podcast. uh, (laughs) I went back to episode one and I started from there and my journey. I listened to the um, podcast every Thursday and for five years I was at the post office. And when I first discovered it, I didn't purchase, I didn't have any rental properties and I just listened and kept learning. And then my goal became to, you know, I want to leave my job by buying rental properties. So like today, last year, back in May, I quit my job and I, I didn't have any properties when I quit, but I quit my job and I basically, some a guy told me, George, when you put two feet in the real estate game, you're gonna take off. And that's basically what happened. Like I, mm. I got in real estate and now I got uh, 12 properties, mostly single family and one duplex.
0: That's awesome, dude. All right. So I, I love that you just said, like somebody said, once you jump in full time, you're really going to take off. And I, cause I think that's the way for a lot of people, like, like people are like toying around with it and they like the idea of it and they've got the, the intelligence to be able to do it. They got the, the education. They obviously know what they're doing enough, but they just, their job holds them back. So it's cool that you were actually able, so you quit your job at some point to jump in full time.
1: Yes, I mean it was scary, and you know I listen to all the podcasts, and they say you want to have maybe making exactly what you're making at your job in rental income, but it was like, like for people listening, what I'm about to say today, you have to believe what I'm saying because everything like Brandon Davis say it works. Like my people at the job, they would be like, "Man, you can't buy that house," or even family members, "Oh, that's not a good deal." But the people you're asking maybe don't even have any rental properties, so they don't see the vision. Yeah. So. My friends was like the podcast guest.
0: That's awesome. All right, let's go back to the beginning then. How did you get your very first property?
1: All right. So my first, when all right, I discovered podcasts, I was living at my parents' house. Me and my um, wife, well, my girl, she was my girlfriend at the time, but I was living at my parents' house and I had started listening to bigger pockets. So even though it was a personal home, I still was trying, I knew at the end of the day, it would be an investment. So I wasn't thinking like, uh, I'm gonna live here forever. So I, I started doing my research based off the information I knew. And I found a house, basically three bedroom, two bath. And the crazy part about it is when I Googled my address, it was a flip. The person who was doing the flip is a member of Bigger Pockets. So they had put the whole deal inside of Bigger Pockets. So I seen what he purchased for, how much he put into it, and I'm like, I'm buying this deal. he, you know what I mean? He asked some questions on the um the forum. That's so funny. that was my first property I purchased a three bedroom, two bath for like hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and I actually in that deal, the house was in the flood zone. So it's I'm you know I'm this is my first time purchasing a home, and I had no idea about the flood zone. So once I found out the home was in the flood zone, I immediately went to um, Google and started looking up should I buy a house in the flood zone. Mm-hmm. Every post said do not buy a house in the flood zone, do not. <laughs> so I'm like, I made a mistake, uh-huh. you know, so in that situation i tried to back out the deal honestly but you know it was investors with the guy and they were threatening to sue me for ten thousand dollars and i'm like i don't even have ten thousand dollars how are mm-hmm. you gonna sue me but that was my first deal i ended up buying that house and i stayed there for a while then i sold it when i sold it i made like twenty thousand dollars profit and i was like like that was the most money i ever had at one point in time at that time That's
3: okay awesome. you've said two things i want to comment on the first was this one right here. Everyone said, don't buy a house in a flood zone, followed by, I sold it. I made $28,000, and I went on to my next thing. Your first deal, you didn't know exactly what you were doing. You found it in on the Bigger Pockets forums, I'm going to guess, or maybe the marketplace. Is
1: that no, no, what it was? I f- I f- no, the house was listed on the MLS, but okay. the person who did the flip, they were asking questions on the forum. Gotcha. So okay.
3: And the second thing you said was everybody says, don't leave your job until you've got the same income from real estate investing. And what I'm getting at here is I don't like the hard and fast Everyone rules. Says, yeah. Yes. This is the way you're supposed to do it. Okay. It it doesn't work that way. We see this with like a bird deal. You're supposed to get hundred percent of your money out. So if you leave of your capital in that deal, you did a bad deal. Well, that's Mm -hmm. not true. Because if you compare that to the 20 or 25% you would have left in it, plus the rehab cost, that's a way better deal. It's like a third of the money. And I hear it with house hacking. Well, the house should pay for 100% of your income. Well, that's not always realistic. Some of these houses we're helping people with in the Bay Area, their mortgage would be seven grand. Instead, it's two grand. Yeah. That's a five grand net to them. That's so much better than if a hundred percent of their money came back. That was $2,200 a month. It's more than double what the other person would be.
0: Or like everyone, everyone has to get the 1% rule or the 2% rule. It's yes. the only it way is, like it you have to meet get
3: the 1% this. rule. I can't yeah. buy it. My cash and cash return is 50, is not 15 It's 14.7%. Yeah. And I can't go for <laughs> it. And then you look at like five years down the road and their rents have increased so much that it's blown away that 15%. But the person who bought the one that did meet their, I'm just using 50% as a hypothetical number. The rents haven't gone up at all, right? right. The, it, you can't create this hard and fast way of looking at this. I, I much rather prefer to look at it like, would I be better off if I bought it or if I didn't? It's just a much better metric to look at than does it meet hundred percent of my needs? And and as we go through your story, what I wanted to point out was that none of everything you tell us would have happened if you had listened to the people who said, don't buy a house in a flood zone. Mm -hmm. Don't do it unless you can get this. This is the only way to do real estate investing. And I'd also like to point out that in five years from now, whatever success you have now will probably be dwarfed by what you get if you continue to put hundred percent into real estate investing. So everybody keep that in mind too. Okay. Thank you George. I'm going to let you continue. Right.
0: George, can you explain for those who don't know like what does it mean a flood zone? What does that mean? And I want to talk about that for a minute too.
1: So, I'm in I'm in Florida. So, a lot of properties are the older properties are not built up on elevation. So, with that being said, the government thinks that your house is more likely to flood if you have high water. So, in this case, this house it wasn't on a high flood it wasn't the worst flood zone, but It was in the flood zone. So in that case, whenever you're in the flood zone and you're getting a mortgage FHA conventional, you must have flood insurance. And that was like the big kicker to me because you want your payment to be low, but this flood insurance is going to make your payment go higher.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so flood insurance I actually built my almost all my first properties all of them in the beginning were in flood zone areas. Because I wow. like flood zone areas were just cheaper. Like like it was cheaper to buy in a flood zone than it was not a flood zone in my town of like Grays Harbor, Washington. It's uh, funny. Brandon, yeah, and and people said I should do his it town.
3: All yeah. those houses look like they're built on stilts. Like yeah, the whole the whole town. That's how they build them. <laughs>
0: they build them wow. up. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a different different type of building. But like I you know what? Flood insurance, yes, it costs money and there is some risk added there because like Right now, like this is like this is a very short explanation, but right now flood insurance is would be very very expensive. However, the government actually subsidizes flood insurance right now, so there's a government program that subsidize. They have for decades. They've subsidized it because they want people to have flood insurance and not destroy their life livelihood because of a flood. Normal insurance does not cover floods. And so you have to get flood insurance. If you're in an area, the government says, Hey, this is a floody area. They should just call them floody areas, not flood zones. I think floody area is a better word. So in a floody area, <laughs> yes, yeah, <so> in a <laughs> floody area, you basically said, Hey, you have an ch- increased chance. So you have to have this flood insurance and we're going to help subsidize it. So I mean, the d- costs are different depending on what state you are and all this stuff, but it's not, it's not a crazy amount. Do you remember how much your flood insurance was per month?
1: Yes. And that's the crazy part. The flood insurance is only like 300 bucks a year. So I bought yeah, yeah, another yeah, it's property crazy. that's in flood insurance. It just, when you Google it or ask other people, mm-hmm. it's just, they say, don't buy a yeah. house in flood zones. It's,
0: yeah. Instead, I just say, do the math, work there backwards, like r- run your numbers as needing flood insurance. I mean, like, so we have the bigger pockets, you know, rental calculator and the BERT calculator, like when you're running a number in there, or if you just do it on, on your own method, like put a spot in there, just as flood insurance, like insurance other, flood Insurance, so I always add that in if I'm going to look in a flood zone, and uh, yeah, it's definitely not something to be like. It's kind of like people who say you shouldn't buy a house with a bad foundation or you shouldn't buy a house with a bad, you know, what like mm-hmm. just figure it out. Like, in fact, by doing so, you can get good at something that most people are afraid of.
1: Yes, as a realtor, every deal I help customers, and maybe they find out that the water pump is bad or the septic tank is no good, and the first thing they do is scratch off the whole deal saying they don't want to buy mm-hmm. the house. Mm -hmm. And me as an investor, I tell them, all right, let's find out how much it costs to fix it. So now how much it costs to fix it, I usually just subtract that from the purchase price and make my offer. we go from there.
0: Yeah. Every problem's got a number.
1: That's
3: exactly, I think the first show I ever hosted with you, Brandon, that's what I said, is you'd ask me about lead-based paint or Mm -hmm. termites, all these things that people say, never do it. No, just take the problem, turn it into a number and make the numbers work. Numbers are the common denominator. So if someone says, oh, the foundation is going to cost 50 grand. Well, if you get a $150,000 discount, and then maybe you know someone that does foundations, that could do it for 30 grand. That's actually a good thing to look for. You're, you should be grateful that there is a foundation problem. And I love that advice you're giving, George, is to don't just automatically disqualify a deal. Look at it and say, can I handle this? And how do I make the numbers work?
0: Correct. Cool, man. All right. Well, let's, let's go into the rest of your story. So you bought this first house. It was a uh, flip, right? Well,
1: I, I lived in it for in it. almost two years. Okay. And you know, my realtors, I, I was watching the house go up for sale and I was like, I wonder, could I sell it? And she was like, yeah, it don't cost you to list it. And at the time I didn't know. So I was like, let's list it for sale. I sold it. It took about three to four months. And when I listed the property for sale, I had um somebody turned the garage into a third bedroom. So in the image for the realtor picture, when you, the garage is down, they think they got a garage. Well, when you lift it up, it's only half a garage. So I had like 30 people come look at it. And when they lift that garage up, it turned completely turned the deal off. So I've told the realtor, maybe I should, um, you know, add a driveway on the side. She was like, do not spend any money on this house. Do not spend any money. You're selling it. But I went in and did it anyway. I painted the house, put the driveway and the next person who came, they put in an offer. So mm. You got it. I went with my gut. You know, as an investor, realtor, investor, I think sometimes I have two different mindsets. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's smart. Sometimes, like, you just got to kind of go with your gut, figure out what you think is going to be best. There, the, the the bedroom in the in the garage, like basically, like you added a bedroom, which what, made the, the garage way smaller. Oh, the person did. Okay, so that yes. made people that made people feel weird the about the house. Yeah, yeah
1: it looked like a, a full garage, but you lift it up, it was like a half a garage. So mm-hmm. that's what messed that deal up. But, well, it
3: was well, also a two-bedroom house, not a, a three-bedroom house, because that third bedroom was in the garage, right?
1: It's not in the garage. They converted the garage into a third gotcha. bedroom. So gotcha. now you have a bedroom. So it's a three-two, yeah. basically. Yeah, so the, what made me, in the first place, want to sell that house was I was listening to um the podcast, and people were always talking about buying a duplex, living in one side, renting the other side out. So yeah. immediately at my job, I had this three-bedroom, two-bath house. I had bought a dog. I had two cars, two car payments. And it was going to work, me and my wife both working at the post office. we going to work, we come home, we eat dinner, go to sleep, do it again. And I was like, this can't be the rest of my life. You know, like mm-hmm. adulthood. I was really stressing out. Not stressing out, but I was like, this can't be like the best part of life. So as I listen to the podcast, you know, they say you can uh, live for free if you buy a duplex. So I sold the house. I got this money in the bank. Now I'm looking for a duplex. And I thought it would be easy to find a duplex because, you know, you're looking for it, but... Every duplex came up. The numbers were not working. So I come across one day, I'm just scrolling the um, MLS, not MLS. I wasn't a realtor, realtor at the time, but I'm scrolling on realtor and I see a house. It says mother-in-law suite. Mm, yeah. So I said, maybe this will work. So me and my wife, you know, we called a realtor. She's uh, booked the appointment. We came to look at the house and immediately I looked at the whole house. And then we went and looked at the mother-in-law suite and the mother-in-law suite was completely brand new. Like, I mean, the whole house was kind of older, but the mother-in-law was brand new. I'm like, this is perfect. I can rent this part out and live in the big part. So we ended up putting an offer in on that house. And that's kind of like what got me able to save up money because now I'm living in, I got my house, I'm living in the house, but we Airbnb out the mother-in-law suite in which it covered the entire mortgage. So basically we're living for free at this, at that time, you know?
0: That's awesome. I love the Airbnb house hack strategy. I think that, I mean, right now at this time of COVID, at least in a lot of areas, it's not necessarily the best idea, but like I, I've always loved it. And I still will always love that strategy because it's just so solid. You live in, you're living in the unit. So it's easy to turn it over. You can do the work if you want to, uh, you can hire a cleaner if you really don't want to and you just get more rent ideally and you're paying for your own internet anyway. So it's like they can have the internet and you're paying for your own water anyway. So who cares if the, your uh, extra unit has that? So that's, that's smart. Yeah that, yeah, that whole house hacking thing. I mean, that's why David and I talk a lot about it. Because it's like, once you're living for free, now you can legitimately save money. Versus right. all the financial pundits out there are like, just don't drink your coffee every morning. Yeah. And you can save 12 cents a day. And after yeah. 89 years, you'll have enough to live on social security spam. It's like, I don't know. That's like the, the common advice. All right. So right. You, bought, you buy this duplex or this house with the mother-in-law. Which, by the way, is a fantastic... Just tip for people is like when you're looking on like realtor.com or Zillow or Trulia, look for those things. You can even set up keywords with things like mother-in-law or uh, ADU or those those terms that like a lot of agents don't even realize what they're putting on the market is a big deal because they're just like, ah, oh, whatever. It's just a, you know, mm-hmm. a little, I don't know. Most people aren't going to want that. They don't want to be landlords. They don't realize that that is the gold like nugget for somebody. So,
1: and the lady I bought the house from, you know, she didn't even rent that part out. She used the whole house, and it was she mm-hmm. was by herself. So that was like if the mortgage was too much, that was the perfect opportunity to, to rent that part out. Maybe, yeah. and that's what um, Brandon always talk about the tool belt. My like, listen to the podcast. I had every I felt like I had every tool belt to conquer any deal. So yeah. I would when I seen that I seen dollar signs, you know, and mm-hmm. it worked out perfect because once we started living there and. The Airbnb is up and running full. We became a um, a superhost, mm. and became a superhost, so it was just fully rented out until up until COVID. It kind of slowed it down, so we just turned to a regular rental. But that was like that was the starting point to saving money because you can't be a real estate investor without learning how to budget and save money first. That's like the first step to even thinking about becoming a real estate investor. Do you
0: have any tips for people who want to want to do that? Like they want they have a duplex or they want to buy a duplex or a house with an ADU. And like, they want to do the Airbnb thing. Just what what have you learned over the past few years of, of doing it and, and, and trying it out? Like what worked, what didn't work? What advice can you offer?
1: Well, I can say if you, for your first time, once you, if you find a duplex or a house with an extra guest house on it, some of the things I would say is, it was my first time becoming a landlord, really. So I learned that one thing for Airbnb is a smaller place is easier to manage. So I also have a three bedroom Airbnb. And the difference is if you got like a uh, mother-in-law or a little one bedroom place for Airbnb, it's much easier to clean. Cause a mm-hmm. person for Airbnb, some people book a three-bedroom house and say it's one person and then like 10 people show up. So, you know, you got a lot of mess to clean up. So I found out Airbnb for me, I like smaller space. And then also as far as being a landlord, you have to you have to get the right tenant in there. I have with Airbnb, I have people that book for a month and then in my case, I'm in a, a quiet neighborhood, so a person will book it, and they like to sit outside and uh, drink or do outdoor activities, and this type of neighborhood is not for that type of environment, like a beach house or some beach Airbnb. It's more like a person who is working in town, they need to rent it out. So you need to let the person who's booking it know more detail than what you expect. Like If you don't want no smoking outside, which I don't like, you need to let the people know because it become a hassle because you're living on that property, and you got to see it and deal with the people.
0: Mm, that's really good advice. I mean, that applies to all landlords. Just like establish upfront your criteria and like, this is what we allow. This is what we don't allow. And it just makes it like the whole process so much easier, especially it's in writing. You can be like, Hey, look, man, you signed this thing or, you know, I, I said this in the listing ahead of time. Uh, it makes uh, management a whole lot easier when you kind of manage their expectations up front. Right. So, yeah. Very cool. All right. So uh, by the way, what market is this in? The, is that is we like are, a, was It's it a, a smaller
1: town, Vero Beach, Florida. It's probably like an hour north of West Palm Beach or an hour from Orlando. Here okay.
0: Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Orlando. I love Disney World. Really. Come on. <laughs> uh, so is this near the beach? I mean, are people staying here because they want a beach vacation? Like a lot of people are thinking, well, I don't live in, you know, on a beach in Florida. I can't have a vacation rental. Is that, is that what no, yours is?
1: No, Airbnb is for people. It's almost cheaper than a hotel. You know, in my case, it's a studio apartment, basically, mother-in-law suite. So people that book it, for the most part, they are traveling. They may be going to weddings yeah. or we're not. I mean, I'm like seven minutes from the beach, so I don't really advertise that it's a beachfront property. But if you want to drive to the beach, you're not that far away. So, I mean, Airbnb, far before it is, it was just people book it because it's more convenient than a hotel. And you can almost live like a local rather than living like a, um, a visitor sometimes.
0: Mm, yeah, I think that's a huge mis- misconception when it comes to vacation rentals or, or short-term rentals is they think you have to be at Disney World or whatever. But if people travel to your place, if there are, like maybe my thing, if there is any hotel in your area, you could likely have a vacation rental or a short-term rental because people are obviously traveling there. If there's a hotel for business or for weddings or whatever, yeah. I think right. that's smart. All right, so what, what came next?
1: So, all right, I'm saving money by buying, um, in this house and while I'm at the post office, you know, this is like the perfect job for a real estate investor. I know where I'm like, it was like a disguise with God because if I wasn't in that mail truck, I wouldn't have learned to market like I do now, like I know the market now. So I'm driving literally every street, every road, and I'm just, I'm paying attention. I'm listening to podcasts, so I'm listening to uh, people who are doing real estate, but I started learning what to rent for. I talked to every landlord on my route. I like I could mm-hmm. recognize the landlord. Like I recognize him. So I'm getting advice from them. And my next deal was I, I seen a house, a land, a guy standing outside. It was a vacant house. And I stopped in the mail truck. You know, I pulled over, I walked in the house. I said, Hey, this is your house? He was like, Yeah, I'm here in town from Oklahoma. I'm finna auction it off on Saturday. So I said, Wow, I might be interested. So he said, Yeah, show up to the auction on Saturday. Well, I work on Saturday. So I hope the post office is not listening, but I don't work no more. but <laughs> I made my route. I made my route where I basically, when the time came near, I made it. So I was by their house. Oh, that's so the awesome. auction was like 10 o'clock. So I was doing my route, doing my route. And at like 9.55, I like made sure I was right there in front of the house. So it's maybe like 10 people out there. They started the auction off and I told my wife not to go over 49,000. We were there together and the auction get up to 48 49 I don't know how to stop bidding that's like my <laughs> hardest part like I like I have to have, have my wife all right this is the number I'm telling you now do not let me go over it but I said 49 I end up bidding up to 52000 and it's an auction certain auctions are they don't have to, the owner don't have to accept the uh, the deal so basically it ended at 52000 the owner he accepted the offer, but the the auction company they thought that the owner would not accept the offer because he was expecting to get like seventy thousand from it, and they were like, we would have bought it if he was gonna sell it for that low. So, you know, I had a, a thirty days to close on it, and I had a line of credit already set up, and basically, I bought that house for fifty two thousand dollars. And then after I bought it, I was planning on going to the bank to get a loan on it, but at the time, I could not get a loan. So I was like, I guess I just sell the house. So I put it for sale like 80,000 and end ended up selling for 75,000. And that was, it took like two months and mm-hmm. I made, yeah, it was like almost 20 grand right there. And I was like, that was crazy. I only make this much, like at my job, it take me after taxes, you make like $35,000 a year. This took two months, you know, and I made this much money and I didn't have to do anything to the house. I sprayed air Fresh in it, trimmed up the front tree and it was ready to go. And that That's was like cool. my first, like, that was my next big flip. I mean, first flip and making that type of money.
0: Can I, can I bring up a point here real quick, which I love is that like what you did there, some people might be listening to this going, well, you know, well, you were a mail carrier, so you were driving around. Of course you saw that deal when it came up, but the truth is we all drive around all the time. We're going places, right? So what I, what I would advise people is like, don't think like you were a mail carrier, so you were driving a lot, but like every time you drive, are you, are you looking for those opportunities? And then most importantly, are you getting out of the car? Like what you did that most people will never do is you got out of the car. You saw a person at a vacant house and you went and talked to them. You got out of the car. And so 99% of people I talk to that want to get into real estate will never get out of the car. They they want it handed to them. They want an easy deal. They don't want to have to talk to people. They want things simple. Uh, and it's not like it's hard to talk to people, but we all just don't do it. And right. so no, I just want to, yeah, congratulate you on getting out of the car. And, and you
3: and may not be that. driving around looking at houses, but how many people work with others at their job and they never talk about real estate to them? Yeah. It's easy to say, oh, well, George sees houses driving around his mill truck. I mm-hmm. would argue George is at a disadvantage, not talking to hardly anybody being isolated in a truck all day. I mean, he gets to listen to podcasts, but you don't get to talk to people and tell them I want to buy a house if you work in an office with 50 to a hundred people in it, you have the chance every day to talk about real estate and have one of those people come say, Hey, my friend's grandma just died. I think that they want to sell the house off market or all kinds of opportunities come up and, and people won't take them. You know, they won't do their equivalent of getting out of the truck and going to engage with somebody. So props to you, George, for doing that.
1: Yes. And also David, I had, by the time, like I started listening to bigger pockets, I had all the mail carriers, like you have a duplex. Cause I was really interested in duplexes. So I'll tell all the carriers, you have a vacant house they was like writing an address and we get back to the office at five o'clock and they mm-hmm. give me a piece of paper. And I got like seven addresses on it. So there you you know, go. I was always like, I was letting everybody know what I do. And the key, I mean, one of the part of my success, I think is when you talk to a, a owner, a lot of times I talk to the owner and they want to help me sometime, or it's just, we talk and we just have a common bond and they make the deal happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I love the the tip. And I've heard of other people saying this on the podcast before, I've never done it. And I'm sure you've heard it as well, George. It's like, yeah, talk to your mail carriers. They see every house in the neighborhood. So like, you know, hey, you see any vacant houses? You know, any houses that are looking like they're, you know, distressed? You see anybody obviously going through foreclosure? Like, let, let me know, you know, maybe even offer them some kind of peace or something like to have those conversations with people who are in the, and it's not just mail carriers too, right? It's anybody who just drives around a lot for their job to so talk to those people and get them hunting for deals for you.
1: So you had a guy on your podcast, right? He was a it gr- was a wholesaler in my area, and I was like, "Wow, this guy is so close to me. Let me reach out to him." So I reached out to the wholesaler, and you know, he immediately he like, "Okay, that's great. I can help you. I have a course, two three thousand dollars, and not two three thousand, but like two thousand dollars." And I'm like, "It all sounds the same to me. I don't have that money, right? They invest in a course right now." So he said, how about this? You a mailman. Do you have any vacant routes on your on route? I was like, yeah, I got a lot. And he was like, well, I'll do your deal. You give me the vacant houses on your route, and I'll help you out. So the next day, I'm excited. I probably misdelivered mail because I'm so worried about looking for the vacant houses. So I got my notepad <laughs> on my phone, pulled up, and I'm driving. It probably took me like well, after an hour just to do this route because I keep stopping to put these vacant houses in my phone. So I, get the, I had like 50 houses. I emailed it, texted it to him the next day, and he said, great, thanks. If I buy any of these houses, you know, I'd be in touch. So time go by, like a month or two. Next thing you know, all these houses that I sent the person, it just got trucks out there ripping out the roof, ripping out the windows. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But I never heard anything back, you know, whether he bought it or not. But it was just like, you know, you, you try so many things with people, but everybody, it got to benefit them at the end of the day, I can say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Like, first of all, I, I like the fact that you like were fine, you found a way in your life to bring value to somebody else. Now, whether or not it worked out or not, you know, we'll never really know, but like, right. you know, whether or not they bought one, but like just the fact that you went out there and you're like, well, I don't have the money for a course and I don't want to spend that. So I'm going to, I'm going to find some way to bring value. And, and that's a good way to do it. Uh, and then I want to actually just bring up what you were doing there. Something that we call driving for deals around bigger pockets or often called driving for dollars. And there's there's apps that can help with that. There's an app called driving for dollars, another app called Deal Machine. Uh, they're both awesome. They can ha- kind of simplify that, that process. But all you're doing is exactly here what George is doing, right? get in your car, drive around, look for vacant properties. Or if you're looking for multifamily, write down the address of every multifamily. If you're looking for apartments, write down the apartment address, like whatever. You're just looking for properties and then you go and contact them later, whether it's what you're gonna you're gonna mail them letters, you're gonna reverse, you know, look up their phone number, find out who the owner is. Like there's all these fancy tools now that can do all that work. Gets you really, I guess, into deals that most people won't do because most people just want to sit at home. They don't want to get in their car. They don't want to get out of the car. They don't want to do the work. So that definitely applies to every single person here. If you, especially if you don't have a lot of money right now, that is a strategy everyone can do for the cost of a tank of gas. You can drive around three, four, five, six hours a week, every week for the next three months, write down every property or use one of those apps, write down every property and then start contacting those owners. If you get a hundred properties or 200 on your list, you will buy some of those properties. If you're consistent and persistent with it. I really believe that.
1: Right. So, and one of the things that people can do like to find deals, is because I know mailing out letters, you guys talk about that all the time. That's like a, I don't know the percent of that, but I haven't got a deal like that. But if you just tell everybody what you do, I told all my coworkers, the babysitter, uncles, aunties, yeah. if you tell people what you do, it's always somebody in a situation where they need to get rid of a house. So oftentimes, you know, deals are just coming from, if you can talk to the seller directly and they want to sell you the deal it's so much easier than going back. If I'm trying to buy a house from David and he's trying to make a $30,000 profit and I'm trying to, you know, get a good deal, he don't really have no... He's trying to make his money to move on. But if you have somebody who, you know, they're older, like a lot of people I buy houses from are 70, 80 years old and they just looking to get their money and just... Tired of rental properties basically, mm-hmm.
3: yeah, yeah. That's something that's easy to forget. That we spend all our time saying, How do I find a deal? Where's the deal? How do I get a house? And there's a lot of people that are thinking, I wish someone would just take this problem away from me. I don't want to own real estate oh. anymore.
0: So I use this analogy. I got an analogy for you. Ready for this one? Right. I might right. did I, I might have already told you this one, David, but oh, it's too uh, late.
3: now you're committed.
0: Now I'm committed. So I'm going to say it anyway. If I said it on a previous <laughs> podcast, I apologize to everyone, but I'll say it again because I was actually proud of this analogy. It was in my, uh, I put it in my new book, the multifamily millionaire. Wait, that You Brian... just set
3: yourself up to quote yourself. Didn't you? You said no. I have something to say. I might've said it before. So let me give myself qu- credit for my quote that I'm about to say that I came no, up with. All I'm Nicely is I... done, Brandon.
0: No, listen, listen, man. I said, I put this in my book. And I thought this is a really good analogy, and I going to use on the podcast
3: that, that you're quoting.
0: I I'm see, quoting, an, a, yeah. There's a really wide yourself, author. There's not. a really wide author. <laughs> op- <laughs> Shut up! Let me tell you the story. All right, so this, the the analogy is, and now the more I say this, the more I think I said this on a previous podcast. <laughs> but the other day, I woke up with a headache. Like this happens multiple times. I wake up with a headache, and I'm like oh it's just like a dull headache it's not terrible but it's enough that's annoying i drink some water get some food it just kind of gets worse throughout the day and it just gets worse and worse until later on i'm like laying on the couch miserable my head's pounding and like i'm just laying there like oh come on it doesn't happen that often but when it happens it sucks right then my wife walks in the room and asks the most annoying question in the world well did you take any medicine for it and of course i'm like No, no, I haven't taken any medicine because I never even thought about taking medicine. I've had this headache. It comes on slowly. Had it been like, boom, you're in pain. What do we do? We go take medicine. But instead, because it came on slowly, this is exactly what it's not an annoying question. I love my wife, but like, you know, because like she's so right. She's so right. But I didn't think of it. The same is true for landlords, right? They get this growing headache that grows over time and they don't think about it as a headache. They just like are annoyed by it and annoyed by it. And when you show up and be like, hey, I got some ibuprofen here for you. All of a sudden they're like, yes, why didn't I think of that? I'm so stupid. So in other words, when you contact existing landlords, a lot of them have headache properties, multiple headache properties. And you contact them like, hey, what what property do you hate the most? Like, What one causes you the most drama, has the biggest repair needs? Which one is your biggest headache? And would you be willing to sell it? If you were to ask me that question today, I'd be like, well, I can name exactly about two or three of my properties that I'd be like, yeah, let's have a conversation about selling them right now because they are headaches of mine, Absolutely. Uh, but, right. but I haven't thought about it at all. So. Okay, David Green on a one to ten analogy scale, the DG analogy scale, which is an official thing now, by the way. At Bigger Pockets, we talk about analogies in terms of where they rate on the DG scale. Right. So on from, the DG scale, one to from ten. One
3: to David Green. How yeah, good one is to this ten. Analogy? Yeah, exactly. On a
0: one to David Green, how good is this analogy?
3: It's pretty good, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to give it a high score, seven and a half, particularly because right, you, you used headache in both the analogy and the example. Mm. I thought that was thank a good you. mix. You could have improved it had you brought up the frog in <laughs> the boiling water argument that people make. Uh, if a frog just sits and you slowly increase the temperature, I don't even know if that's real, but people it's say it's not a
0: real. But the frog yeah.
3: will let itself, oh, that's probably why you left it out because you're science based analogies. Yeah. All right. Thank you, accurate <laughs> Andrew over there. Yeah, that's really good. And, and a point I wanted to make was that we, you also should remember part of the power of real estate is overtime. Over time, it is a powerful wealth building tool. But if you're older and you're kind of at the end of your time or coming closer to it, there's not nearly as much appeal for you to own that thing as someone else. At the end yep. of your life, you just want convenience. So when you're starting off investing, you are happy to sacrifice convenience for wealth and, and for time. And that's why Brandon carries toilets that are actually literally full of poop because he doesn't mind when he's young. Whereas when you get older, it's not worth it to do that. You're happy to sell it to a Brandon and let him
4: carry out your poop. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale,
0: let's kind of go like through the rest of your story. If you want to kind of all stop, right. like wh- what happened the next few years? Where are you at today? How many units do you have? Like kind of walk through us, uh, you know, and, and how you became yeah. an agent. I know you mentioned that.
1: All right. So, all right, this is the crazy part. I, I was, I stopped working last year in May. So I'm like fresh off the press. It's like, I'm 31 years old now and I quit working when I was 30 years old. So it was like on a Monday at the post office, it was a crazy day. I mean, mail was just through the roof. And I was frustrated. And when I got home that day, you know, I had a headache. I wasn't feeling good. And I was like, man, I, I had to use the bathroom. So when I used the bathroom, it was like blood in my stool. So it oh, immediately no. scared me. Yes. So I'm like, what is going on? So I, I told my wife, She like, let's go to the hospital. Went to the hospital. And they were like, uh, hemorrhoid had like bleeding. So no big deal. Yeah. But on the other part, it was like, you still need to go get checked tomorrow to make sure cancer cancer coming in people's stools you know so i'm like huh so it scared me i'm telling you, i'm scared so i called the post office say hey i had to go to the hospital such and such happened they were like are you coming in to work tomorrow i'm like i just told you what happened you know and it felt like they didn't really care what happened i need to come do that route tomorrow so the next day uh we made an appointment for like nine o'clock in the morning my wife called our work we're driving down you know to the post office i mean not the post office. We're driving to the the hospital. And, you know, listen to the podcast. A lot of times when I see, like, say I see, I want a Ford truck. Right. Next thing you know, I start seeing a lot of Ford trucks. Right. It just happened like that. So I I'm yep. driving to the hospital and I start seeing words say cancer. And on the big old side, said cancer. I'm like, Oh man, I just keep seeing mm-hmm. this. Right. So I said, before I went in there, you know, we prayed and whatnot. And I was like, God, if I don't have it, I would not, I would follow my purpose and, you know, my passion, and my dream. So, you know, we went in there, they did the test and whatnot. And, you know, the doctors walked in where he's like, I got good news. You don't have cancer. And it was like, I got to really live up to what I just told God, you know? Yeah. So it's like the next day it's like a Wednesday. So I called out for the rest of the week because I had the um, hospital or whatever. So next week we go out of town that weekend and come back. It's more weekend at Tuesday. I say, um, it's like Monday night o'clock in the morning i'm supposed to be to work at seven in the morning and i'm i'm like i google would god tell me to quit my job i literally Googled this because i'm <laughs> going back and forth because i like i got bills i just had my first son he's one years old you know i just like everybody in the world i have uh i have responsibilities so i'm like he can't tell me to quit my job so i had turned on the tv and you know like the infomercials they have on like in the middle of the night and yeah. it was a pastor, and he was like, "The answer to your question is yes. The answer to your question is yes." And I had just Googled, you know, got to my job, so That's I'm awesome. like, "Ah, I, yeah, I was, it scared me." Because I'm like, I, I I threw my phone, I put on the nightstand, and I said, "That's it." I kind of like, I like, he answered my question so quickly because usually people want like bright signs to see things, you know? And that mm-hmm. was like the brightest it ever been. Like I was like, I need you to be loud. Like if you don't want me to go to work, when I go outside, all four tires need to be flat. Like that's the type of sign I want, you know. So when he said yes, like the answer, will you be all right? Yes. Will you be able to survive? Yes. Will you make me successful? Yes. So that morning, you know, I woke up. I made sure I quit. I took all my um, post office clothes and put them in the a dra- trash bag. Wow. I took them, threw them in a the dumpster. So I didn't have no clothes to wear at work now. So I'm basically eliminating, you know, because I was You're still burning scared. your ships. Yeah. Yeah, I bur- yeah, basically burnt the ship. So. I waited a couple of days, and then I found out. Like, all right, I'm taking my two weeks' notice in. I walk into the post office. People are like, "Where you been? Where you been?" And I had a letter, you know. And I had wrote on the letter, you know, I was basically, I just can't do it no more. And the supervisor, you know, she gave me the look. Like, you know, most managers at jobs, they, they, um, they doing that job. They want you to. They want you to get the job done, but they know they're going to overwork you to get it done. And that's yeah. their job. Their job, like, my I got workers working right now doing floors at a house. And my job is to get them to do as much as I can for, like, $10, $12 an hour. That's just, you that's know, job. I'm hiring them. That's my job. So she know as a mail carrier, we want you to deliver as much mail as possible for as, little, as, little, as small amount of time because you cost the post office less money. So she was like, she almost gave me, like, a look like, I'm glad you did it. Because I know I'm putting a lot of pressure on you guys, but you took the chance and left, you know, if I'm yeah. proud of you. So I was like, I felt some kind of relief after that. But that was like, that was the end. So the next day, honestly, I was like, All right, what am I going to do? I went to the library and I started applying for jobs. I was so scared.
3: <laughs> you, it's funny you burned the ships and then you went and cut down trees you're like i gotta build a raft i need something
1: so but my idea was all right because i had basically been saving up money because of the house hack so like people you're gonna just quit your job i did have a nice savings because i've been living for free basically two years saving up yeah. no mortgage no car payments so i did i want to go i could survive for a year at least so, I went to Liberia. I was like, All right, like bigger pockets say, at least if you do a job, you're not getting paid as much, but I'm happy. Yeah. So, I applied for a property management job. I got my real estate license and I know I can manage the property because I helped my dad when he managed his properties. So, I had an interview, and the lady, she told me, You go through the interview. And, long story short, she didn't hire me for the job and I felt like I was qualified. So, I'm like, That's it. I'm not applying for no more jobs. You know, I got it. I always had interviews and I wouldn't get the job. So I was like, I'm not applying for no more jobs. And I basically, I put my head down and start, I bought my next deal and I quit in May. I bought a a duplex in September. I bought another house in the next month after that. And then February I closed on two more properties. So it was just kind of like, you got to trust your instinct. Like God, the universe works in your favor if you're supposed to do it. Like if I'm If I'm trying to run a marathon and I'm running every day, they're going to schedule a marathon in your city, maybe. It's going to give you the opportunity to do it, you know?
3: I was going to say that when I'm in a similar situation to yours, because I think a lot of people listening can relate to just the question of whether they believe in God or not. Should I do this or not? There's this internal feeling of like, is this the right move for me? Whether you attribute that to God or fate or the universe. But we all relate to that feeling. And I see a lot of people that handle it the wrong way where they're asking if this is what I'm supposed to do, make it a downhill path, make it easy for me to go that road. And if if that's not what happens then they say, I'm not supposed to go that way. But how I see that play out in my own life is that I don't see the path go downhill. I feel a drive come inside me that likes that it's hard. I feel this like version of David that rises up and says, I want to lift that weight. I want to run up that hill. I like that. It's really hot right now. I, yesterday, Actually, it was Saturday. I did 14 miles and it was all about 100 degrees and it was yeah. up the mountain and then running down. And it was really, really hard. I had to bring a lot of water. I had to hydrate halfway through. But there was a piece of me that was like glad it was hard. I don't, I can't describe it, but it was like, there's a little thing that rose up because I knew this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be strengthening my legs and doing this hard thing. And that's how I know it's where I'm supposed to be. It's not that it's easier. It's that there's a right. piece of you that really wants it. And I know there's people that are listening to this that have that same... I know I'm not supposed to do what I'm doing, but I don't know what I am supposed to do. And can I get a sign? And and what you're saying, I know strikes with a lot of people. And I just want to say, don't wait for someone to make it easier for you. Wait for that feeling inside that says, I don't care if it's easy. I want it so bad. I'm going to go do it.
1: Right. Yeah. And and that's the thing. A lot of people, um, like even me, I compare my life to Brandon. Brandon, like like before you had a million doors, Brandon, like maybe when you had <laughs> like 50, you know, I was like, Brandon got 50 doors. I got to get 50 doors. And but in my real life, nobody got around my surroundings, nobody really got that many rental properties. So I'm comparing my life to Brandon and people on the, on the podcast and I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. So, and I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of, I mean, you don't never feel satisfied, but now I feel like I'm moving like with the earth, like I'm moving at my pace. Like the deals I get are the deals i supposed to get, you know, and the fact that I just really didn't want to go to a job. It's just, I'm just happy already. So I feel like now I'm working for like my wife to get out of the job, my family, my parents stopped working. So, yeah.
3: Let me ask you this you, you left the mail route, you burned your boats, and then you went and became a realtor. How's the realtor thing been working out?
1: As a realtor, so far, I mean, I don't, I don't I'm not the realtor like that's gonna be on the top 50 list, mm-hmm. but I got my real estate license to help me as a real estate investor. Yep. So, as a realtor, a lot of times you, for me, I get sellers that wanna sell their house. Mm-hmm. So, they wanna sell their house. And I go view the house. When I go view the house, if, I, if it's meet my criteria, I always put an offer in first before I list it. And that's, I got maybe two or three properties just like that because people call me to want to sell them and I go to look at them and I'm like, hey, I can buy this house. I have a lender and I know it need this done, this done. Hmm. Are you okay with this price? And a lot of times they're like, they're, yeah, but sometimes they're not. If they're not willing to let me buy, I will still list it for sale. But as a real estate agent, people always say, is it worth getting your license? I don't think it's worth getting a license, but I feel like it's my calling to be in real estate because I help so many people find rental Mm -hmm. properties or sell the house buy the house. And I haven't had a deal not go through yet.
3: Yeah, you and I have a similar story because I left my W-2 job in law enforcement. And at one point, that's where I felt like I was supposed to be. And it just went away. And I felt like I was supposed to be in real estate now. I'm selling houses. And I know it's not something I ever thought I'd do, but it feels like where I'm supposed to be. And to Brandon's point, you it sounds like you've just taken listings and added them as a tool to your tool belt. Okay, well, I can't take this down with Burr, the deal down with Burr. I can't take it as a flip. I can't take it as a rental. They won't sell it to me. I'll just list it for them. Just right. another, another move you have in your repertoire that you can take down more deals. And for those type of people, it makes sense to be a realtor. But I agree with you that it doesn't make sense to go do it unless you're committing like this is going to be my full-time job and this is what I'm supposed to do. It's definitely not something to undertake lightly and just think, Oh, I'll just, just do this. What, how hard could it be?
1: Cause the mistake people make is they see David making money doing real estate. So then they say, Hey David, I'm thinking about getting my real estate license cause I'm making money. And people come up to me saying they want to get a license. And I feel like like me, I never did good on tests taken. I was like, I failed like state tests, college tests and stuff like that. So My real estate license, like I passed all them tests. So it's like meant to be, you know, I passed them tests. It's like, I never felt a real estate test for some reason. I don't know how I passed, but I passed them. So I feel like it's like destined, you know?
3: Brandon, you kind of mentioned that when you went and moved to Hawaii, right? It was a similar feeling.
1: What's that? like That you were supposed to be there.
3: Like you mentioned that it just feels like this is home. Like this is where I've been looking for for my whole life.
0: Yeah, like I I like to say like there's that line in C. S. Lewis's uh like the The Last Battle. There's a book by The Last Battle, and we're like the it's basically like an analogy for the end of the world. And so like the world kind of ends, you know, uh, and the these kids, the the story, it's like a kid's story. Uh, they, they see like this new, this new place. Like that's basically like synonymous of like the afterlife or supposed to be anyway. And they say, Hey, look, it looks like our house, but it's like a more real version of our house. And then there's the corner store where we get ice cream. It's like a more real version of our ice cream. Like when I found my house here, it was like, Oh, that's like what, that's the life I, I I knew was there, but this is like a more real version of my life is what I'm trying to get at. Right. Like it feels like more vivid and certain areas of my life have been that way. And I think that you're, that's kind of what you're saying here is like all of a sudden you feel like, Oh, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. Like that's when you find your purpose or your identity or your, your like where you're supposed to be aligned in life. It's, it gives you energy. You've, it, the lights just kind of move green. doesn't mean it's always easy. You still have to drive the car, but the lights tend to turn green a little bit more. Uh, Cause yeah. it's just, that's where you're supposed to
1: be. Yeah. Because a lot of deals I had, it takes like five, six months to close. And I feel like if I didn't love this, I would have gave up. So if you didn't love it, you'd be like, nah, I'm tired of this. I'm out.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's one of the reasons.
0: Yeah. Can I, before we move to the deal deep dive, I want to comment on one thing. This show is a lot about, uh, you know, we're talking a lot about quitting your job and you quit your job and then you got freaked out. You got, the, you know, like, Oh, I got to go find something else. And then you tried applying apply and it didn't work out. I want to bring up a couple points here. First of all, like real estate is a good way for people to quit their job. However, you have to have income to support your family, right? And you knew that. And that's why you freaked out a little bit and you decided to go the real estate agent route. Right. You also had the thing that a lot of people forget, and that's you were responsible for a number of years with saving money so you could take that risk and quit your job and then go into real estate full time. So like I've heard people like who have nothing and they're just completely brand new. They don't they just get excited and they quit their job right then with no savings. And I would argue that that is, I don't want to say foolish, because I'm sure there's people that have done good and and had success, but it is very risky to have no money whatsoever, which is why David and I are such big fans of house hacking. The more you can eliminate your expenses so you can save more money and have fewer expenses, the quicker you can quit your job. But if you got to buy the new car, you got to have two cars in the driveway that both have car payments on it. You got to have the nice house with the three thousand dollars a month mortgage. You got to have the all all that stuff. The, the payment on the couch and the all that stuff in your life adds up to payment, and that holds you back. That's the that's the shackles we put on to, that hold us back from actual freedom and financial freedom in life. So I just encourage people. Yeah, like look at your story. It's like, look, you didn't go out there and go buy the biggest, baddest, nicest house. So I'll just encourage people. Save the money, do it right. Go like keep your expenses lower. That's how you get financial freedom. That's how you get out of the rat race, and that's how you get into a a, really like an amazing life, like your purpose in life. Like we're getting at now. uh, Before we get out of today's show, George, I want to move over to the last well, one of the last segments. I think we got two more, but second to the last segment, which we call our deal Deep deep dive. These are the same questions we ask every guest about a particular deal that you've done. Do you have a property in mind that we can kind of tear into a little bit, in a yes. good way, George? All right, number one. Yeah, what kind of what kind of property is it? Tell us just what it, what is it?
1: The first property was a duplex.
0: Okay. David, and how did
3: you find it?
1: All right, I've, this duplex it went up for auction, a live auction too. It's one you stand outside and bid on. So, oh, this is
3: that one. Yep.
1: Yeah, these kind of auctions we have. We still have them here. So we, I went to the auction and the, I knew my number was like 65, 70,000. So we bid and bid and okay. it went up to like $75,000 cash. Okay. You know, you have to close on it. You don't yeah. get your money back for your 10% down. So I bid up to 65. Somebody outbid me. I was like, I was I was just hurt because this is one of my first deals. And like after I quit the post office, I knew I needed a duplex, you know, some income. Yeah. So I was like, I had a headache that day because I knew I should have went a bit higher, but I stopped because it's like, it's in the moment when you bid in, you like, you know, you don't want to go too high and make a mistake because no inspection or nothing, you got to buy it. So I stopped and I I didn't get it. So uh, maybe like two weeks later, the duplex come up on the MLS, on Realtor. I was like, wow. So it was listed for $110,000. I called the agent at this time. I'm a Realtor. I called the agent and I said, I want to put an offer in for $90,000. Because now I can finance it. I can pay higher. I can just finance it. So he was like, All right, cool. The seller came back at $100,000. I didn't want to go that high, but I was, I ain't say I was desperate, but I really, really wanted a duplex. Right. So I went up to the $100,000 and I said, well, we came at $97,000. I told the other realtor he could keep my commission. That's another trick for people with realtors. Yep. A lot of times I don't even get commission, I give the other realtor my commission in order to, for them to make the deal come to me. Yeah. So I did it, I think 97,500, something like that. And he keep the whole 6%. And he was like, we made it happen. So we under contract, I get the inspection done, inspection, just regular inspection, nothing major, but the appraiser come back at $78,000. You want me to keep going or?
0: Yeah, uh, well uh, the next question is, how did you negotiate it then? Uh, oh,
1: okay. Yeah, so the appraiser come back at $78,000. You know, I'm buying it for $97,500, and the appraiser come back at $78,000. So I, on the bigger the podcasts, I never heard this happen before, so I was stuck. Out of all the podcasts <laughs> I listened to, I still have things happening to me that I haven't heard on the podcast. So I'm like, appraise come back at seventy eight. I asked my broker and a couple other realtors. They were like, George, never buy a deal if it doesn't appraise, you know, what you're buying it for. So... I was like, but I know it's worth more than that. I just felt like the appraiser, so I could test the appraiser, the bank. I tried to send the comps, and they still is uh, 78000 So a guy you just had on the show, Mr. Rick Jarman, I called Mr. Mm-hmm. Rick because I don't have nobody in my circle like here that got that much experience in real estate. So I called Mr. Rick. I explained the situation. He was like, George, if you – I would pay five ten thousand $10,000 over appraiser – if it's worth it, if you know, if the numbers work, it rents, do it. Yeah. So I got, I, I, uh, what happened was once I had leverage though, I didn't realize it because the seller knew it appraised $78,000. $78, so she ended up coming down to $85,000 because the whole point was she couldn't sell it because mm-hmm. it appraised at $78,000. So in the end, I shouldn't even contest the appraiser because I had more leverage by saying it appraised that $78,000. Yeah. So she ended up coming down from um, 85,000 uh, finance and then I, I own her finance uh, 5,000. So it came out total 90.
0: Wow. All right. That's yeah. a unique way to put that together. I like that you got the owner financing for the remaining five. That's cool. So how did you? Oh, wait. Sorry, David. Take it. I almost took well, your then question. you already started it, Brandon. Nope. No, no, I'm not. That. I'm going to let you do it.
3: What an honorable guy.
0: I'm an honorable man.
3: <laughs> All right. So we see that you sell her finance a piece of it. How did you fund the rest of it?
1: Okay, so I regular uh, 25% down on a multifamily. I thought I just put 20% down, but multifamily, you have to put 25% down. So I put the 25% down on the 85,000. And then the owner financed the 5,000 over two years, you know, yeah. of interest.
3: Thank you, COVID, for creating yeah. this lending debacle. <laughs>
1: was it yeah was okay. this pre-covid or after what, COVID? well no this was back in um september of last year so this oh was okay i
3: thought you just met rick through the podcast and that did not no nah, this of.
1: was uh back in september last year
3: did he tell you that liars can number but numbers can't lie
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love his i love his southern <laughs> sayings they're so good
3: <laughs> all right
0: what did you do with the property then you held on to it
1: yes yeah, so once i was vacant and one of the things oh yeah the number part you said the MLS said it was rented out for $700, right? So I, the final day before closing, I get the leases. I didn't realize I should got the lease earlier. Mm-hmm. I get the lease, and it's rented out for $600. So I'm like, hold on. On the MLS, it said it was rented for $700. So the lease is for $600. So, but I still close on the deal because it, the, lease, the um, lease was ended in like three months. So I closed on that deal, and I rented out the other side. And here where I'm at... Properties, if you start working, like you see people still shovel outside, some paint going on the wall, cars are stopping. So it is no problem renting it out. All my properties yeah. get rented out before I even put it for rent sign up. That's
0: awesome. cool. Yeah. By the way, that's just a quick tip for everybody. There's a thing called an estoppel certificate or an estoppel agreement. Uh, if you're buying a property with tenants in place before you close, like during the due diligence period, have the tenant, you actually have the owner have a tenant sign an estoppel agreement, which says, this is my rent. This is my security deposit. This is what my lease sends. This is if I have a lease or not. This is a month to month. Like You basically get the tenant to say all the, the facts. Then you can use that to compare it to whatever they li- like the agent listed the property as and look for discrepancy and renegotiate right then and find problems like just there's a good tip for everybody out there and nice it's not very well known but
3: Branded. there you go first off usually only brokers and agents know about that second mm. off that's a lot of syllables in one word it's stop yeah, it. i don't even i might even thing. am i
0: saying it right i actually made yeah. i have no idea i only read i only read i don't talk yeah look good. at
3: you step look at up me. your game
0: mm. all right With all
3: that brain energy <laughs> you're saving wearing the same t-shirt every day you're every worried.
0: day i save words
3: better uh that's uses. what you do you should try it anyway all right <laughs> all right george what lessons did you learn from this deal
1: Oh, from that deal. I learned what I learned. I learned that, you know, I was so upset when I lost that deal at the auction, you know, but just being persistent and patient, I ended up getting a duplex and I don't think I probably ever sell a duplex because it took me such a whirlwind, you know, it's yeah. like sentimental value, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. I hear you, man. That's, uh, that's an awesome story. I like that. I, I I like the fact that you were you went for it. It was listed at so high. You got like I don't call it negotiation, but it kind of is all real. That is negotiations. You got them down through the appraisal, and yeah. eventually you landed a great deal that now you uh, you just have and you rent out. And so, what's it renting for right now? each Side
1: East Side is renting for seven hundred East Side now. And I learned awesome. that negotiation. You had a guy on your podcast, negotiator. It was like um you always um say my high's I want to go is ninety thousand. And, you know, I tell the sob story, what's all wrong with the house? And you're probably not going to like my offer, but I mm. give you 80 for it. And yeah. it works. You know, yeah. I never think my dad always said, man, that stuff don't work. Because when we drive long distance, I make them listen to Bigger Pockets. Nice. So, <laughs> And this is before I started buying property. But he always, he didn't think the stuff on pocket, on Bigger Pockets worked. But I'm telling people, like, the things that you gotta say on here, it works. It really does work.
0: That's awesome, man. Appreciate that. Well, with that, let's get over to the last segment of the show. Something you've heard many, many times before, and now we're going to ask you. It's time for our world famous.
3: Famous Four.
0: All right, time for the famous four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week here on the podcast. And before we get into it, let's see what's going on around the world of the Bigger Pockets podcast
4: network.
3: Hey, it's Ashley from the Real Estate Rookie, and on last
4: no, week's it's show... not. It's Felipe from the Real Estate Rookie show, and last Wednesday we had Amy. And Chris, a newbie and a seasoned investor who used hard money to invest. And they are in partnerships. Make sure you go back and listen last
0: Wednesday. Thank y'all. All All right. With that, let's get to the famous four. Number one, what is your favorite or current favorite or all-time favorite real estate related book, George?
1: Favorite real estate book. I always have like different phrases I'm going through, but overall I would say, um, How to Get Rich in Real Estate by Robert Kent. I have it right here. It's an old book. I don't know how to get
0: rich in real estate. Yeah, I never read that one.
1: Yes, is the fifteen percent. If the if it rent for fifteen percent of what it costs, no. If it costs hundred thousand dollars and rent for fifteen grand a a year, it's a decent deal. Simple. It's like simple.
0: Simple. All All
1: right. right. What about your favorite business book? Favorite business book. Doing business by the Good Bible. It's basically about doing business. Uh, the biblical way. So like once you listen to a lot of real estate podcasts, honestly, I don't really learn a lot after listening to 200 episodes, but I pick up one or two things from each episode that I mm-hmm. attach to me. So that's like one part. But as far as just doing business, doing people right and wrong, that's what I take from that book business, doing it the right way.
0: There you go. By the way, I looked this up earlier because I thought there was something related. You, you mentioned earlier. I couldn't find the exact verse I was looking for, but Ecclesiastes 11.6, Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. As my new real estate uh, quote uh, of always, my life always be sowing. Yeah, always be sowing. Yeah. That's going to be my I'll shirt. ABS. I'll be always <laughs> be sowing. If you want to buy an always be sowing shirt, go ahead to biggerpockets.com slash shirt.
3: <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to make it. All
1: right. With that uh, next question. Next
3: question is, George, what are your hobbies?
1: My hobbies are, that's crazy. I do my hobbies every day now. I love real estate. But um, yeah. outside of real estate, I play basketball. I do have a podcast, New American Dream podcast. And I, I mean, I have a family. So one of my, my reasons why I want to quit my job is I have my son. So I had him April of 2018. And that one year, just working and missing first steps and all that, it, that was my why. Like, I wanted to quit. I wanted yeah. to spend time with him. So now I take him to daycare every morning, and that was my, my reason why. That's awesome. That's
0: awesome, man. Yeah, very, very cool. All right, last question for me. What do you think sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started?
1: I want to say taking action. But the thing is, people remember, your job is something you can get fired from your work is your purpose. So find out what your purpose is in life and you can never get fired.
0: Mm-hmm. Very nice. Wise words.
3: All right, words. this has been awesome, George. Tell us, where can people find out more about you?
1: You can find me on Instagram at George Do Real Estate. I also have a YouTube channel called George Do Real Estate. I do a lot of things on there. And my podcast, New American Dream Podcast.
0: All right, so George of Real Estate. Very, very cool. New American, what we called? New American, what? Dream Podcast. Dream Podcast. Yes. Very cool. Everyone go check that out after this show's done. And yeah, awesome, man. Appreciate you uh, coming on the show today. Oh, thanks. David Green, want to take us out of here?
3: Yeah. Thanks again, George. It was great getting to know you. This is David Green for George, can't not outbid Gibson and Brandon, a wise man once said Turner,
2: signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small.
4: If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and BAM!
3: Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own.
4: Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose.
3: BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.